Actually, I did touch base with Derek Sanford, the senior pastor there, and I let him know that we're going to be sending Deborah and just to see if, what, if they were okay with it. And, and I appreciate Derek and the folk at Grace, and if they said no, we would have sent her to Erie First or something. So, um, But it does, again, pose the question to us, doesn't how does God lead us? And how do we hear his voice when we want to make decisions in life? We recognize that a lot of the decisions we have to make are very substantial. I mean, you can't back up and just get a, a, a mulligan on the thing because there's going to be extra costs and scars and pain and it's going to drastically alter your life. So we want to know what God has to say. So how do you determine God's will when you're making decisions in life? Well, last week we started the series, we, we said that if you go through the Bible and you take all the inferences to God's will, you kind of categorize them, you'll end up with three categories. First category was his sovereign will, or his will of decree, that's uh, what theologians call it. That's really what God is going to do. He's going to do it because he's God, because he's sovereign means he's in charge of everything. Looking forward, it's hard to see exactly what he's going to do, but when you look back, uh, everything that's transpired is under God's sovereign will. Now, that poses some other questions. I understand that. However, Romans 8.28, he says that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, that promise would be impossible to make if he was not sovereign. The, the fact that he is sovereign is great comfort for me because even my decisions are underneath his sovereignty. And though I, I cannot just be lackadaisical about it and throw it all to the wind, I have to think and process it on and on. After the day is done, God's sovereignty will, will, will direct. So there's great comfort in that. But the sovereignty of God, though it's a very comforting doctrine, it does not give me always the answers I'm looking for or the, the help I need in making the decisions I have yet to make. So the second category we looked at, if you take all the inferences to the word of God, was God's revealed will. And this is, is what the Bible's all about. Uh, we find that God's will, who he is, what he thinks, what he loves, what he hates is right here. It's revealed in precepts, it's commands of scripture and principles. Every portion of scripture is for you and I. If you're interested in knowing his will, you'll pursue after this thing hard. We said last week that uh, pursuing the revealed will of God is going to guarantee finding the unrevealed will of God. The verse we looked at, Romans 12:2, significant verse. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, see, the issue there is not sincerity. The promise is that you will be able to discern the will of God. But there's that be able to. It's, it's not a sincerity issue. It may just be an ability issue, a competency issue. It might not be that we don't want the will of God. We just are not able to discern it. You can discern it, God says. However, circle that then in your Bible. You have to follow that first sentence of the verse before you can get to the second. The first one says we have to be transformed in our thinking. The way we explained it last week was when God created man. God is, is here. I know he doesn't really look like this, but he's here. He's omniscient. Uh, man is never omniscient. But still, when man was created, he thought God's thoughts. He could see as God saw. He, he hated what God hated. He loved what God loved. Uh, that was fine. But as soon as the fall happened... Then as man has walked away from God, you know what? God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. 
We don't see it the way God sees it. We don't hate the same thing he hates. We don't love the same thing he loves. We have different value systems. So you know what? It is difficult to discern and ascertain what it is God desires in this situation because we are so radically different. But as our mind is transformed, as we soak in God's word, as we apply God's word, as we try to live out his revealed will, we get closer and closer to seeing through his eyes. That was the goal with that. But we recognize that even with that said and done, there's that third category, and that are issues in my life that the Bible doesn't address. We say, all right, got it. You know, I've applied myself to this, and I've been trying to figure out God's, God's word and, and live it out. But still, you know, do I marry what's or so? And do I move my family to Albuquerque or to Baltimore? And do I, I branch off my business and, and start another one across town? Or do I, do I quit my job because I hate it with a passion and go back to school? Or, you know, questions like this, huge questions. Going to have major lifetime ramifications, yet we look for a verse that's going to direct it. And unless you're Deborah, you're not going to find one. All right, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you answer those questions? Well, trying to understand the will of, of God is nothing new. And, you know, it's not even a Christian thing. Bruce Walke wrote a fascinating book a while back. It was called Finding the Will of God, a Pagan Notion. I- interesting book. And what he says, he says that if you take all of the ancient literature that we have, you know, extract the Bible, take all the ancient literature we have, 80% of it are prescriptions on how to determine the will of the gods. That it was figuring out what the gods were thinking, what they want, what was just an obsession with mankind. And Walke goes on to say that a, a key way that the pagans sought to determine the, the will of gods to figure it out was something called hepatoscopy, which is the study of the liver. I'm not sure exactly why the ancients assumed the liver was the deal, but maybe it's the largest organ in the, in the central part of your body. Maybe it's the heaviest organ. For whatever reason, these guys thought the liver was... was the thing. And so when they made their sacrifices, they extracted the livers, they lined them up and they compared them or they looked for abnormalities or I don't know sure what they did. I'm not training this, but that somehow they're able to figure out liver that this was the future by reading livers. And we look at that. Yeah, we go, ah, that's gross. That's horrible. I mean, how barbaric, you know, how primeval. Everybody knows you can't tell the future by reading livers. Right. You read palms, right? Yeah, if you want to know the future, this is the way sophisticated Americans do it. We read, they just hit the wrong body part, right? And of course, uh, our, our country, the world, uh, sometimes even in the church, is so obsessed with this, we go down that pagan road. Ouija boards, horoscopes, tarot cards, psychics. Um, I got into the Ouija board when I was a kid. Not meaning to per se, uh, my friend Gerald had the Milton Bradley game Ouija board. Remember this? And uh, if you don't, good, good. But they, the Milton Bradley had this thing out all the same. And if you don't know how a Ouija board works, that's wonderful, good deal. Uh, but it's a, a board that's got all these numbers and letters on it. And they've got this little device you put on it. And you put your fingers on the device and you ask it all the spirits. And you question and it kind of moves around and answers your question. Um, and I always thought, you know, if the spirits are real, let's just take our fingers off and watch this baby move. Of course, it didn't work that way. It wouldn't do that. You had to have your fingers on this thing. Well, Gerald and I are up in his attic bedroom, and we pull the Ouija board out, and we put our fingers on this thing, and, and Gerald says, Oh, spirits, does a girl like me? And it moves. Yes. We're eight. You know, it's a whoa. So then Gerald asks the next logical question. What's the name of the girl that likes me? Well, I know that Gerald likes Joyce. And he wants Joyce to like him. 
But I thought it'd be funny if Agnes liked him. So he he starts moving this baby towards the J. And I start moving this baby towards the A. (laughs) Come on, Spirit, show me what. Yes, Spirit, what you do. You know, I don't know who liked him before it was all done. I know our hands were tired, but I'm not sure who liked him. But but Ouija boards, just so you know, I got to clarify it with this. It's really not a game. Uh, Dawson McAllister says up in Wisconsin where I was. I don't know why Wisconsin, but Wisconsin leads the league in states as far as teen witchcraft. It was not strange in our youth group to have witches come. It was a semi-normal thing. And if you were really good, you didn't go buy a Ouija board. You built your own. So as some folk take this very seriously. Michael uh, DeRobertis and Paul Delaney, they're professors at New York University, sociology. They, what they did is they did a study of their students. And what they determined was incoming Freshman liberal arts majors, 45% of them believed there was something to astrology. As far as the students involved with the hard science majors, you know, your statistics majors and your chemistry majors, these guys, 37% of them believed there was something in astrology. As a matter of fact, they found that 20% of the students that they interviewed in this past year had made a decision based on their horoscope. Now, let me just... This isn't a message about astrology and the occult. Well, it could be, though. Scripture talks a lot about it. But to say that this is very bothersome when you see Christians who don't think twice about reading their horoscope and hanging out with their horoscope. And you you say, what are you doing? They say, well, I I don't really believe this at all. It's just fun. You know, it's just something to do. It's just entertainment. In God's mind, this is not just entertainment. You know, if, if in fact you give yourself permission to believe there is a good, divine, supernatural being someplace, call them whatever you want to call them, if you give yourself permission to believe such a, such a being exists, doesn't it make sense that bad beings, supernatural beings, may also exist? And according to Scripture, this is very, very, very true. And going after the, the, the bad, looking for direction for the future, well, this is what God says about it. Deuteronomy 18. He's talking to his people just before they get into Canaan. And he says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. And we say, you know, a good child sacrifice is bad. You might feel like it sometimes, but it's bad. Who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, who engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. One of the reasons, he says to his people, why y'all are going to get Canaan and the Canaanites are out of there. One of the reasons is not because you're so smart. It's not because you're so good looking. It's not because I owe you anything. It's because they are committed to to turning to the demon world, the demonic for direction. Instead of turning to me, uh, this again, this is not a game that you play. And maybe you need no more sermon. Maybe you've just been hanging out on Satan's playground. I could tell you some stories. And it's just time to, to back off, to repent and say, you know what? Enough. I'm done. I'm not going on that road, road anymore. Now, we use ideas or not necessarily pagan ideas for, for determining God's will in the church sometimes. And I really need you to, to focus on what I'm going to say for a moment. Uh, it will save you perhaps some angst and it will save me some emails this week. So, um, but there are some ways that we seek God's will in the church that are just not um, biblical. 
for example, impressions. We, we get together and we pray and we wait for God to move. And first thing that pops into somebody's mind is, well, it must be of God. I, I ran with a circle who, who did this at one point. And what they did is, is uh, they called it waiting on God. I'm all for waiting on God, biblically defined. Waiting on God is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's a practice. But these folk would get together and say, we're going to wait on God. We're going to pray, put it on the table. We're going to wait. We're not going to do anything till he moves. Until something pops into somebody's head, just the assumption is that it's God and They'll do that if it somewhat relates to their question. I had a friend who came out of one of those sessions one time. And he said, you know what? He said, I just can't figure this out, though, because we prayed. And then God popped into my head as clear as day, a, a red pickup truck. I said, well, you know, we praying, you know, you, God show you what to drive next. Or, no, no, I, just, I forget what the question was, but it had nothing to do with a red pickup truck. I said, well, maybe it's that Chevy commercial from the night before. You know, maybe it's, it's, it's not God. He said, oh, no, 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 this is God. It's God. Well, how do you know? Because we, we told him. We asked. And the assumption is, with all these kind of things, that God is, is going to answer these type of things. Uh, associated with, with impressions are feelings, uh, a sense. Uh, how about this one? Peace. I'm all for peace. Peace is a good thing. But we've got to keep in mind, whenever we're on the verge of making a big decision, anxiety is normal. It's, it's a part of it. Uh, and then often when we come to that conclusion, there's a settling. There's a peace. How many times have you heard this kind of thing, or I have anyway, folks sitting down in your office saying, uh, I've prayed about this and I have a peace from God. I'm supposed to leave her. Well, you know, I don't know where they got their peace, but it's not from God. Because God's not going to speak out of both corners of his mouth. His revealed will always, always trumps, always trumps feelings and impression and peace. Uh, a, a peace does not guarantee that you got God's will down. Nor does a lack of peace guarantee that you don't have it. You, you know, Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's praying. And scripture lets me know that he had great anguish. That he was so, so much anxiety, sweating drops of blood does not look like peace. And yet he's right in the center of God's will. Now, Dobson's book, Emotions, Can We Trust Them? The answer, Bob's big old thick book, bottom line is no. We, we just cannot necessarily say because I have peace or because I have a lack of it, that means that I've got God's will or I don't have God's will. Uh, associated also, signs. You know, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Will you just give me a sign? You know, how many times have we prayed this? How many times have I prayed this? Should I move to the West Coast? Let me know. Give me a sign. Two days later, insurance salesman from San Diego calls. West Coast. Oh, it's a sign. I'm supposed to move to the West Coast. Maybe. Maybe it's a sign you're supposed to move to San Diego specifically. Maybe it's a sign you're supposed to quit your job and go into selling insurance. Maybe it's a sign you're supposed to call your insurance agent here because there's an issue going on and they need you. Maybe it's a sign that God is trying to tell you that I am your ultimate insurance agent. The problem with signs is we can read into them whatever we want. And scripture lets us know that our heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, Same thing with Felicis. I worked with youth and Lord, if you want me to date him, clearly the guy's not a believer, but if you want me to date him, then may the sun come up tomorrow. May he say something to me in the hallway tomorrow. Well, then they're next to this guy and they're by his locker and they're dropping their books in front of him, just trying to get him to say something. So as soon as he does, yes, it's a sign from God. It's a fleece we're covered. Uh, Fleeces can be manipulated. We can uh, organize those for the answer that we really want. 
How about this one? Supernatural manifestations. And I would throw dreams and visions into this thing. Um, I'm in Cincinnati. True story. Our, our church, big church split. 500 people walked, and the guy that was over the split was a hard-nosed president of a bank. I mean, this guy was not a subjective sort of guy. Uh, he was just a you know, very strong guy. Anyway, he comes still with the mother church, and he comes to me, and he says, Mark, i got to tell you what happened to me. The other night, I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, walking through the hallway at my house, and on the little bench in my hallway sits Jesus. He's sure. He's like, Jesus? Yeah, yeah, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. He says, and do you know what he said to me? I don't know how my blessed are the poor. No, no, no. He said to me that you are supposed to come with our church plant and be our pastor. I said, wow. Okay, well, let me think about that. A couple days later, I'm in my office in the mother church, and Marie comes to Marie. Marie has got a reputation of being like an Anna. She's a godly woman of prayer, and she says, Mark, I just got to tell you, I was praying the other day. Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as day and told me that you are supposed to stay with the mother church and be our pastor. I'm thinking, you know, how come Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't talk to each other? You know, can you imagine they get together and Jesus says, "Uh, you said what to him? (laughs) I said the other thing. Uh, Let's see what he does with this one. And how come and how come he can't speak to me? Am I that wicked? I mean, pretty wicked. Uh, I, 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 I am. But can a person be so wicked that God can't even speak to him? How come he is going through, I can't talk to me about this. Listen, if you've had the, 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 the dream and the angel, Paul says this. Paul says that even if we or an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you, let him be accursed. In other words, even supernatural manifestation stuff, if it's against the word of God, I mean, this trumps everything, everything, every, every peace and feeling and open door and coincidence and, and supernatural. Every, this trumps it all. And, and so you have to start. What does God's word say? So you say, well, OK, OK. Then. Listen, well, first of all, look at this quotes. Hen Robinson, neat guy, uh, a mentor of mine. He says, the scriptures do not command us to find God's will for most of life's choices, nor do we have any passage instructing on how it can be determined. He's going to go on. I don't have it up there, but he says, equally significant. The Christian community has never agreed on how God provides us with special revelation. Yet we persist in searching for God's will because decisions require thought and sap energy. We seek relief for the responsibility of decision making and we feel less threatened by being passive rather than active when making decisions. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Walkie says this. He says, apart from the spirit working through the scripture, God does not promise to use any other means to guide us, nor should we expect him to. Well, ouch. And I'm not saying God will not. And he's not saying God will not. He's saying God does not promise that every time I put out a fleece, every time I ask for a sign, every time I look for a, a, a feeling that he's going to give it to me. And so I've got to be leery, questioning those things. Not that God does not use those things. That's, we've got to understand. But we have incredible propensity to alter and fix and change and twist and read into. We just have that ability. Um, so what do you do? Well, three, three questions that we want to ask if we're trying to figure out the will of, of God. Th- three questions. I think these will be, be helpful. They've got to be in chronological order. You've got to get these down. You can't mix up the order on these. You've got to keep them in order. First question is, 
What does the word say? Now, we beat this one to death, haven't we? I mean, this was all of last week. But but that has got to be the first question you ask. What does the word say? Because coincidences and open doors and feelings and peace and all those other things are, are, are trumped by the Bible. So what does the what does the word say? Most important thing. Second question. What does the word say? What's the first one? Second question. What does wisdom say? You know, in church, and again, maybe it's all over, I don't know, but certainly the circle I grew up in, uh, faith and wisdom are often seen as polar opposites. They're, they're opposites. If you're a person of faith, wisdom is, you know, thrown, thrown, to, the, thrown to the wind. Uh, but biblically, they're, they're certainly not. Open up to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings 3. Let me just read a couple of verses out of this. Um, giving you the background, Saul, King Saul was the first king of, of United Israel. To my knowledge, God never appears directly to King Saul. Next guy on the throne, David. And for all of David's, you know, Davidness, God never appears directly to King David. Then David's boy is on the throne, Solomon, third king. God appears to him twice. Here after his coronation, the Lord comes in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Down verse 7. It says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child. He's about 20. And do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. A great people. Too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God likes this answer, by the way. He says, uh, verse 12, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. God doesn't ridicule them or get upset and say, listen. What is this asking for fleshly wisdom stuff? Just don't you want a direct pipeline? Just keep talking. I will give you the, the answers to the questions you have as time goes on. God applauds this wisdom. As a matter of fact, God says you are going to be the wisest person that's ever lived. So when Solomon gets a little bit older, he starts discipling his boys. And in Proverbs chapter 4, he says this. He's teaching his boys how to make decisions. And he says, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. He says, when you're making your decisions, boys, I know you're, you're heirs to the throne and you're in the, the line of monarchy and you're princes and you're better schooled than anybody else in the kingdom. Got all that down, certainly. But here's the bottom line. Don't rest on that. You, you need to lean on the Lord for wisdom. In chapter 8, he says, listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me. This is wisdom. Watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Do you want to make decisions where you have God's favor? You make wise decisions. It says, but whoever fails to find me, whoever fails to answer the second question, what does wisdom say? Harms himself and all who hate me. Love death. So right, well, let's maybe back up for just a second. What is wisdom? Good question. 
Hebrew word's a fun word. It's chachma. I, I love it. Sounds like a German word, doesn't it? If you got English, it's H-O-C-H-M-A. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's uh, that, that German guttural thing going chachma. Um, chachma. And what Hakma is, in, in, throughout Scripture, specifically in Proverbs, two things, two sides of this coin. Very important. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The first side of, of wisdom is really the qu- first question. What does God say? It's understanding God's values and God's mind and God's thoughts and God's dreams and God's hate and God, what God's trying to accomplish and what God is accomplishing. It's understanding who God is, where he's going, what he's doing. That's the first side of wisdom. The second side, the other side of the coin, equally, equally there in Scripture, you can't separate them uh, in decision-making, is a skill in living. It's somebody who is able to put all the pieces together, who's able to look at the history and discern the variables and, and understand what, what, what's going on and to make a, a, a right decision. You give your money, all of your money, to a stockbroker. Do you want this guy in the back room flipping a coin? You know, let me see, IBM, or we go international. What do we do here? You don't want that. You want somebody who understands the markets, and they understand your age and what you really need here, and they understand what's going on in the world, and they can make a wise decision. If you've got a very wise stockbroker, this is someone who's going to go someplace, right? You go to the doctor. Do you want him to say, you want, you, you can say, what's wrong with me, doctor? And before he's done a single test, he goes, okay, hang on just a second, let me think. Okay, I feel like you probably have uh, spinal meningitis, maybe. You know, uh, well, hang on, you haven't drawn any blood, nothing's going on. How, do, how can you tell this? Well, I just feel that that's probably what you got. We're going to another doctor, aren't we? Don't we want someone who knows our family history, who can put it all out, who's done all the tests, who checks it out, they know where we've been, they, and they can make an accurate, an accurate diagnosis? Wise, wise. Now, this is, Andy Stanley talks about this in his book, The Principle of the Path. And he says this. This is, this is cool. This is Andy Stanley, though. He says that um, direction, not intention, equals destination. Got that? Direction, not intention, equals destination. The, the picture he gives, the illustration he gives, is let's say you want to go to Florida. And you get on the Internet. Maybe you, you buy the tickets to Disney World. And you find a nice condo on the, on the, online. And you lock that up. And, and you, you got your car all tuned up and ready to go. And you packed your suitcases with, with swimsuits and shorts and sunblock. And, and you, you told everybody you're going to, to Florida. And you, you went ahead. You have, just before you leave, you're in your parking lot or driveway. And, and people come and they pray. Oh, God, would you protect these guys as they go to Florida? Would you get in the car with them and help them to get there safely? Uh, amen. And then... You leave your home, you get on 90, and you go west. And you just keep going west. Are you ever going to get to Florida? But you've prayed. But that's your heart. But this is your biggest vacation. You've you, you saved on this baby for years. Are you still ever going to get to Florida? No, because you're going the wrong direction. And can God change the road system around to get you? Well, yes, he's God. He can do that. But is he probably going to do that? Listen, if your faith, here's a good deal. If your faith can bypass gravity and you can still win, then your faith can probably bypass wisdom and you'll still win. Uh, don't think just because you're sincere and you're godly and whatever, all, all those wonderful things that are wonderful. Don't think that just because you're there, you can throw wisdom under the bus and you're going to be okay. Because Scripture says, oh, no, no, that's, that's, not, that's not the way it's to be. Now, the way this works, 
You're asking the first question, right? What does God's word say? Second question you're asking is what does wisdom say? Well, Gail wants to marry this guy. So he says, well, what does God's word say? Okay, he's got to be a Christian. Talk to him. He claims to be a Christian. Yeah, he's a Christian. Okay, good. There's no prohibition about this. I'm getting married. You better ask that second question, right? What's wise? First question is what the words say. What does wisdom say? Well, okay, he won't come with me to premarital counseling. He uh, has this minor addiction problem. He's got this anger thing going on. Uh, he's 23 years older than I, I am. Uh, he, I notice when we talk about values and where we want to go in life, radically different. What does wisdom say you should do in that situation? You're not going to find a verse that says don't. Maybe we could argue that one, but you're not going to find a verse necessarily that's going to say leave this guy alone. But wisdom says leave this guy alone. You decide that you want to stop off at the bar on the way home from work with a couple of co-workers. Is there a verse that says, I can't do this? You ask him, what does God say? You can't find a verse that says you can't do this? It might be, I don't know. So, so then you stop, start and ask yourself, well, what does wisdom say? Well, let's say you're male and the co-workers are gals. And let's say that maybe for you, your parents are alcoholics and your grandparents are alcoholics and your siblings are alcoholics. You've never had a drink before in your life. Is it wise for you to do that? Let's say you're a gal and you're saying, you know what? I want to get back into the workforce. That's where I need to be. It's where I'm schooled in. I've got it. I was good at it. I'm going back into the workforce. Is there a Bible verse that says I can't get it? No, you can't find one really that says you shouldn't go in there. But what does wisdom say? Well, for you, maybe you look at your life and you've got three little kids at home and you say, you know what? I know my industry, and if I get in that, man, it's, it's 70 hours a week and lots of travel. And for me, my husband's pay is sufficient. Now, I can't do everything we want to do, but for this short time in our life, you know what? It is not wise for me to get back into the, the work environment. Maybe you ask yourself, hey, listen, can I have lunch, we're working lunch with this gal who works at my work? She's on our team. We've got to discuss business. Uh, can you find a verse that says no? Matter of fact, your boss might say yes, but then you start asking yourself, well, what's wise here? Well, there is a natural attraction, and I am a pretty fallen person, and I know what my goals are for my marriage, and I know what I want to be able to tell my children. So you know what? It's not wise. It's not wise. Not going there. Not going there. As we ask ourselves, what's God's word say? It's going to be the first question. Second question, what is wise? What is wise given who I am, what I'm about, what's going on in my life? Third question. Because isn't it possible, after you've asked those two questions, you're still wondering, okay, fine, I asked both those questions, and still I don't know if I should take the job in Albuquerque or the one in Baltimore. Because we put it all on the table and we did all the pro-con sheet and then they both come out equal and, and every, you know, they're, they're same distance from families, job pays the same, same potential, on and on and on. We like both areas. What do we do? Third question is, what do you want to do? And that, that you see the chronology importance here? You ha- can't answer that one first. <laughs> what does God's word say? That's the first one. Then what does wisdom say? And then the third question, what do you want to do? Do you think that if there's somebody who's committing their life to knowing this and to living this and to being this, do you think that just maybe their desires might be God's desires? Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in Him. And what will He do? Give you the desires of your heart. 
and interpretation of that passage is that God actually gives you the desires you have if you delight yourself in him. Uh, as, as we look, look, let me show you one last text. This is a great text. Luke chapter 1. Luke, Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, probably pointing to, to Mark, actually, John Mark, Mark's gospel. Therefore, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now listen, if you know anything about Luke, about the book of Acts, the Gospel of Luke, Luke, more than any of the other Gospel writers, underlines the Holy Spirit. Now Luke is a Holy Spirit guy. He really is. But what's his reasoning for drawing up this Gospel? The book of Luke. Is it... You know, I was praying and the Spirit just burned me with a desire, just needed to, to write a gospel. Is he saying, you know what, I, was, I asked the Lord whether I should write one, and so I, I, I threw a parchment on the ground and I said, let it be wet the next month. Did, what's he say? Why did he write the gospel of Luke? He said, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write. I figured Mark could do it. I thought it was a good idea. I could do this. Sure enough, why not? Now, would any of us deny that the Holy Spirit probably led Luke to write this gospel? Certainly. But it was Luke's, Luke says here, it was my idea. It seemed, like, it, seemed, it seemed like a good plan. If, in fact, we're asking ourselves, what's God say? And then we're asking ourselves, what's wisdom say? Third question is, what do you want to do? And you know what? Your sovereign God, who delights himself in being called your father, is going to protect his children. That doesn't mean that every decision we make is going to have a windfall financially and no issues. But it does mean a sovereign God will be able to protect from those things. 